Hey everybody, welcome back. Uh, special week this week as we are not doing the deep end, but we are doing the deep dive only this week and a special night, Tuesday night. So forgive the schedule mix-up. We'll be back to the regular schedule next week, but I'm wearing shades today. Do you know why? Because today's scripture is so bright. Yeah, you can finish the line. We're talking about as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Let's get it. And just like that, presto change of no shades. Anyway, good to have you with us. Romans chapter 5 is where we're going to go, and uh, we're going to head into that scripture right now, just so you guys remember. This is episode 11 of season 5 of the Deep Dive Bible Study, going verse by verse through the wonderful book of Romans, and we are tackling perhaps one of the most basic fundamental realities of life that scripture talks about on a regular basis. And so with that in mind, let's head into the book of Romans. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Um, there is one of the most provable doctrines of Scripture in the world that you don't even need <laughs> to do anything other than just observe humanity to see it, and that is the doctrine of original sin. We're going to get there, and we're going to talk about why it's fundamental to the gospel today. So Romans unpacks and unfolds God's redemptive plan in Christ Jesus to save us from ourselves, right? That's the problem. Your problem is you. And until you acknowledge that, you're gonna forever be reaching for false solutions to your sin condition. And in Romans chapter five, Paul takes another shot at teaching the New Testament doctrines of grace and the doctrines of justification and doctrines of original sin and all those things by looking at the illustrations of the Old Testament. Before we get to Romans 5, I want to talk about one of the big epidemics of our world today, and that is fatherlessness. I know it's not Father's Day, but I think it's pretty sad what we're seeing with fatherless in our gener fatherlessness in our generation. 50 years ago, 73% of children of all colors were born into an intact two-parent home in which mom and dad were married for the first time to each other. Now only 46% of children in the United States fit that description. We're living in a world today where 40% of children are born to unwed mothers. That does matter. It matters a lot. I know it's not politically correct to talk about it, but we got to talk about it. 24.7 million kids in the U.S. right now do not live with their biological father. What does this have to do with Romans chapter five, because it matters who your dad is. When you don't have a father, when you don't have your biological father or any father figure in the home with you, your chances at substance abuse, your chances at teen pregnancy, your chances at landing in jail, uh, failing out of high school, living in poverty for the lion's share of your life, go up exponentially. The, the, the reality is we need dads. And that's why I'm interested, actually, I don't know about if any of you can say this and let me know in the comments below, number one, where you're watching from, but let me know if you've seen this movie, King Richard. I'm very interested in seeing it because it's about the Williams sisters' father uh, who t uh, basically trained them for success as tennis players from birth and made a lifeline for them to find a way out of poverty and destitution through successful tennis play. I don't know if you've seen the movie. I'm planning on seeing it because you know what is finally nice. And I know everybody's got their faults, including uh, Richard Williams. It's finally nice to see a movie where dads are portrayed as positive influences upon their children's lives, particularly the lives of daughters. All that to be saying to, to be saying about the book of Romans is this. We need the right daddy. So <laughs> my question is, who's your daddy? And Paul is going to unpack this in this text. Before we go any further, make sure you're subscribing to the YouTube channel and make sure you click that notification bell so that you can get notified on your smartphone every time we go live. Okay. Book of Romans chapter five, verse 12. Let's hit it. Paul says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men 
because all sin. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Okay, key words, we got to talk about this, uh, that are going to basically go throughout this text. First, the word one shows up 11 times in Romans 5, 12 through 21. That's going to be our entire text today. So one, one man, sin comes. One man, righteousness, grace comes. Then another word, keyword, and these are important because t- words in the Bible, when they're repeated in a passage, mean a lot. Five times in Romans 12, 5, 12 through 21. Uh, two men, Adam and Christ, who is referred to as the second Adam. The reason why Christ is referred to as the second Adam is because as Adam was born sinless or made or was created sinless, so to Christ is only the second man, Adam being the Hebrew word for man, okay? That's the Hebrew word, Adam, means man. Christ is the second man, made in the image of God, perfect, righteous, holy, with flesh. Then, key phrase. Here's the key phrase in Romans 5, 12 through 21. Much more. Because, I love this, everything that Adam did badly, this is, this is what's going to happen. Positively, Christ did much more. He not only undid what Adam did, but he did much more. You're going to see all this as we unpack this phrase, as we unpack this passage. It is, it is such a powerful passage. And what Paul is going to unpack is that what Jesus came to do was to undo everything that Adam did. So let's dig in a little bit more. Adam is our head, the authority and the source of all humanity. And God gave Adam, again, Hebrew word man, authority over the whole of creation. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. In fact, I have the Bible cam available uh, for that text. Let's get to the Bible camp. And Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Take a look at it. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over everything that moves, where? On the earth. By the way, preview question, Genesis chapter 3, where does the serpent move? (laughs) He moves on the earth. Adam was given dominion over that serpent. So just for reference, because we're going to see why we're in the mess that we're in all right here in Genesis chapter 1. So God gives him dominion. Genesis 2, okay, and this is important. Let's go back to the Bible camp. Uh, Genesis 2, 15 to 17, we get a a zoomed-in picture of creation. It says, the Lord God took the man put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, to keep it. So there's dominion, that's Genesis 1.28. There's work, that's Genesis 2.15. There's keeping, which is the word for guard. Some tra- translations say guard. So there's given to the man. Listen very carefully. Given to the man is dominion and work and guardianship over God's creation. And the Bible says in verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of the tree of the garden, every tree of the garden, sorry, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat it, you what? You shall surely die. Then in verse 18, the Lord God makes him a helper fit for him, right? That's the woman. And the woman brings the woman out of the man, and every man ever since that has come out of the woman. That's a zoomed in picture of what mankind was created to do. What happened in the creation of man? God makes a man. He gives man charge of the garden. He gives man charge over the world. He gives him authority. And in Genesis 2, 16, he gives the man authority in the word of God, the commandment. Eat every tree you want, save one. Paul referred to this later in this passage in Romans 5 when he talks about the transgression So God forms the woman out of the man and brings them together. And then sin comes into what? Into the world. How? 
the serpent shows up. Let's go back to the Bible camp. All these things are important, guys. It's so important that we get this order. Okay, uh, verse 1 of chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. He said, by the way, all these references to the field, right? The serpent, where does he crawl? He crawls on the, on the ground. He's on the field. Go back again. Romans chapter, I mean, Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. He's got authority. The man, the man has authority over everything on the earth and everything that creeps in the earth. So, so listen, the serpent was at this moment in subjection to the dominion of, of the man. He speaks to the woman. He said to the woman, did God actually say you must not eat any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent. Okay. So the woman is having a conversation with the serpent. Where, oh, where, oh, where is Adam? Skip right down. Look what it says. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was where? With her. And he ate. Sin comes in through this conversation between the serpent and the woman as Adam sits by and watches. This is imperative, okay, to our text today. It's imperative to our text because these two texts unpack Adam's failure. He had a failure to uh, maintain dominion and authority in the garden over God's creation, and then he had a failure to instruct and lead and guide his wife, Eve. Well, not Eve yet. She was just known as Adam as well with him. The two should become one. And he did not lead and he did not feed his wife. In fact, he let her make the decision and followed her into sin through the fruit of the tree. All these things matter. I know I'm being very deliberate and very long about this, but there's a reason for it. When sin enters, they are naked and shamed. Chapter 9, I'm sorry, verse 9 of Genesis 3. The Lord shows up and it says he called to who? He called not to the woman, to the man. And he said to him, these are masculine pronouns. Where are you? Very important question. Did God know where they are? Did, did God know where they were? Of course he knew where they were. He is asking an intentional question because he wants to know, Adam, while all this stuff is going down and the world is being handed over to the devil, where are you? And Adam's response is, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So we've got shame right here and, and, and we've got guilt and we've got fear. By the way, one, two, three serious problems still to this day. Shame, guilt, fear. Because Adam was not, listen to this very carefully, where he needed to be. Where are you, men? And I am saying that to you guys listening to me right now. And I got some recent statistics uh, from my channel, and it proved that uh, my... Number one demographic for this channel, I'm so happy about this, is men aged 24 to 39. I'm so glad that's my highest demographic for this channel. By the way, like and subscribe, guys. Anyway, um, where are you? Like Men, where are you? As the world is being handed over on a regular basis to the devil, to chaos, to the prince of the power of the air, we've got to show up. We've got to show up. Look at how Adam failed to show up. He failed to guard the garden from the serpent's lies. He failed to guard his wife from the lies of the devil. He failed to intervene when she was having a conversation with the talking snake. He should have said, wait a second, I've got authority over here. I need to speak up. And he, uh, when, when he is confronted, check this out. This is the worst part right here. Verse 12. Uh, well, first verse 11, God says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten the tree that I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, look at this coward. The woman that you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. 
I mean, you want to talk about cowardice. You want to talk about lame duck leader. Look it up in the dictionary. There's a picture of Adam if we had a picture of him. I mean, seriously, he's the sin of Adam. And this is so important where we're going in Romans 5 is the sin of passivity toward his family, toward his wife, toward his bride. The sin of not taking authority in the word of God that God gave to him. Remember, it's so important to see these things. Remember in the garden before the woman comes in verse 18, God gives Adam the commandment not to eat the tree. So it was his responsibility to relay the commandment that God gave him to the woman in the garden. And instead of confronting the serpent with the lies of Satan, he follows the woman into sin. The sin of Adam is passivity toward his family, absenteeism regarding his priestly duty in the garden. Uh, He did not fight against the lies Satan was speaking toward his family. He followed, he did not lead. And that's why the question, where are you? That's why it's so important. Where are you, Adam? He was right there watching his world follow the devil and he did nothing. And this is a challenge before we get to Romans 5. Don't be like Adam. If you are a Christian, if you are a Christian man, you need to step up. You need to lead and feed. You need to guard your home, your children, your bride, if you've got one. If you don't have a bride, young men, you need to guard yourself and your body and your eyes so that when God gives you a bride, you are pure toward her and you are committed to her. I will tell you this until I am blue in the face. God has given authority, spiritual authority in the home and in the church to the man in the home and in the church, because the church is a subversive kingdom within the kingdom of Satan. It's a subversive kingdom of Jesus under the auspices of the kingdom of Satan of this world. And we are not of this world. We are taken out of this world. But right now we live counterculturally in this world. And what you see right now happening in our world is the the de-escalation of men, the devaluing of the father, the the um, elimination of authority from the father and from the male in all areas of life. I mean, people get more excited when a woman becomes vice president than over <laughs> than over whether or not the economy is doing good, is the military strong. I mean, we, we're more obsessed with the genitals of our leaders than we are with the authority, knowledge, wisdom, and tact of our leaders. And that's what's happening in our culture right now. The church has to be counter-cultural to all of this. It's, it's, it's why Paul backs up what Jesus does and only uses men in authority in the church. Now, I am going to get some hate comments, I'm sure, from some women out there. 1 Timothy 2, 12. Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over men. Rather, she's to be, remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived. Oh, yes, she was deceived. But she was deceived because Adam did not speak. And that is the problem. So the woman, Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. She will be saved through childbearing. Some people get really worked up about that. Um, she would be saved through childbearing, meaning that because the fruit of her womb will bring salvation to the earth, women will be saved, okay? If they continue in faith, love, holiness, and with self-control. So, so there's, there it is right there uh, in the Bible, a clear text. And listen to me very carefully. You never, you never use an unclear text like when Paul refers to the women Uh, who helped him in ministry to subvert a clear text. The clear text here in 1 Timothy, and not just in 1 Timothy, but in 2 Timothy and Titus, males are given authority in the church to lead and feed, listen, with their big brother Jesus, the bride of Christ. The authority of pastoring, the authority of leadership in the church, the eldership, the episcopos, the presbytery, if you will, whatever your denominational structure, I'm telling you something, it is the man's responsibility because it was Adam's responsibility in the garden and it is Jesus' responsibility now in the church and Jesus uses his brothers, his younger brothers, us men to lead and feed the church. This is so important. 
And and I, I, I just bear in on this because Adam's failure affects us all. Adam's failure affects every one of us. And it is becoming clearer and clearer in our culture right now as we shift toward this obsession with uh, uh, people's genitals regarding their qualification for leadership rather than their knowledge, their wisdom attack, and should they lead? And I'm not talking, I'm not talking necessarily about presidents, vice presidents, and congressmen and senators. I'm talking about in the church. The church must not reflect the values of this world. The church must lead and show the world a counter society based on the written word of God. Now, 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 just back to 1 Timothy, the woman was deceived, right? But the woman was deceived because the man did not lead. Now, I know this cuts across all the modern philosophy of gender, biology, and feminism, and, ma- and toxic masculinity. I know it cuts across all that stuff. And I, and I want you to know something. I don't care. I'm here to preach God's word, not man's opinion. Now, I'm already 20 minutes into this show, and I've probably lost some of you. <laughs> but here's the deal, guys. And it's so important is the underlayment of Romans 5, 12 through 21 is that, that God operates through authority and order. God operates through authority and order. First uh, Corinthians eleven three. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. In other words, the authority of every man is Christ. And your body, what's got the authority? Not your hand, your head. So the head, this word head means the authority of every man is Christ. And the authority of a wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. Jesus said, I cannot do anything except what the Father tells me to do. I have authority. I must submit to his authority. Not my will, but yours be done, Father. Like it or not, is what I'm trying to sum up here, is that God operates through authority. And authority is necessary. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, you say, you're picking and choosing one passage, uh, you know, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. Those don't really apply to all the churches. There was there was only one little issue in Ephesus, and people love to do this with, with Timothy because he was the pastor in Ephesus. And so to Ephesus, where there was this priestly, uh, this high priestess cult thing to uh, some foreign god, uh, Artemis, or Diana in the Romans. And so Paul was trying to counterculture that just for the city of Ephesus. Nope. Let's go back to the Bible cam. I've been flipping while I've been talking to you guys and look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Look at what Paul says. For God is not a God of confusion, this is verse 33, but of peace as in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak but should be in submission as the law also says if there is anything they desire to learn let them ask their husbands at home for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church now he's not talking about just having a conversation or praying because earlier on he talks about praying and he says if a woman or whatever prays and prophesies with her head uncovered so it's not talking about that it's talking about authority to teach and instruct that's why it says if you want to learn anything and the pastor didn't cover it hopefully your husbands are at home you can ask him And he's knowledgeable in the word because he's not doing what Adam did. He's not being an absentee father. He's being a godly father and a godly husband who leads and guards his family in the word. This is a lost concept in our culture. And I know full well that there are a lot of preachers who do not agree agree with what I'm teaching you. And I don't care. Uh, We've got to get back to the word of God. The key text there in the Bible cam is what? As in all the churches of the saints, not just Ephesus. This is to This is the Corinthians. So Timothy, 2 Timothy, I know, he's the pastor in Ephesus. This is to the Corinthians. And Paul says, as in all the churches of the saints, the women must listen to the authority that God has put in place and the spiritual authority God has put in place is men. Right now, we're seeing the church undermine God's spiritual authority given to the man. We're seeing the church do this. And I get really ticked when the church does this because the church should represent the faith, the, the, the father. Uh, so look at what's happening in our culture. We have undermined all kinds of authority. That's why I say, like it or not, authority is necessary. Um, we have undermined fathers because they've been mocked and, and vilified for years. We, we call it, the, our world calls it the patriarchy, toxic masculinity, as if these things are, as, as if um, the patriarchy is a bad idea. Like God came up with the idea of the patriarchy. I mean, he did, that men should lead. So whenever anybody says we need to get rid of the patriarchy, they're saying we need to get rid of what God has installed. Number two, we have undermined parental authority through government-funded schools. We have. Now schools literally teach our children not to respect their parents, to not listen to their parents. I've covered this on the deep end about all this gender nonsense, gender dysphoria nonsense being foisted upon our children through government-funded schools, taxpayer-funded schools that are led by heathens, heathens 
and hedonists who have no respect for authority in the word of God. We have undermined police authority these last 20 months, have we not? Through this racial division is divide and conquer. The, the author of division is Satan. And we've undermined the state's authority through uh, the legislative, legislating immorality, left, right, and center. Everything that used to be illegal, not everything, but a lot of things that used to be illegal because they were harmful are now legal. Drugs are becoming legal incrementally because that's how the devil does it. He turns the temperature up slowly. We've taken away physical authority. Now the, the bodily authority that we should have, that, 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 our, that our physicality also has some authority. Our genetics, our, our biology has the, no, no, no. Now, now biology is subservient to emotionality and what we feel. And this is what's happening in our world on a regular basis. And then we have disrespect for government authority uh, through our language, through our words. By the way, just want to put it out there, and some of you are not going to like this, but Christians should not be saying, let's go, Brandon. Christians should not be saying it because we all know what that means. We all know, right? And if you don't know, you can you can Google it. But we, we do not speak with unwholesome talk and do it publicly and celebrate that. No, no, no. We are different than this world. Romans 13, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. There's no authority established except what is established by God. Like it or not, authority is necessary. Adam took his authority that was given him by God and he handed it over to the devil. And now he is the God of this world. He is the God of this world. And I know that because the scriptures teach me that. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Uh, Ephesians 2, 2, 2, it says that we used to follow the prince of the power of the air that is the devil. Okay, God of this world, prince of the power of the air. And Luke 4, 5, when the devil tempts Jesus, it says he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in one moment of time. And he says, to you, I will give all this authority for it has been delivered to me. Who delivered the authority of the kingdoms to the devil? Adam. Adam. And the devil offers this to Jesus, says, take the shortcut and I'll give you the authority. Nope, 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 nope. This Satan said, uh, Jesus says, no, no, I'm going to do it the hard way. I'm going to do it God's way. I'm going to undo what Adam did. Uh, in Adam's lack of taking authority, authority was surrendered to the devil. This is so important, guys, and it is fundamental to the world we live in. And I am only two verses into Romans 5, 12 to 21. <laughs> but it's so important. So back to that verse, sin, there, it says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Death came into the world through one man. Death spread into the world through Adam's disobedience. All are sinners. Uh, I can give you passage after passage about that, uh, but you can look them up yourself or I can put them on the screen for you. Psalm 58, verse three, even from birth, the wicked go astray. From the womb, they are wicked, wayward and speak lies. Psalm 51, verse five, David says, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And you've got to know the foundation of human life. You've got to understand these doctrines if you're ever going to truly apprehend the gospel. So let's get into what it meant. So what did it mean? What, what, what did this mean? Okay, scripture can never mean what it never meant. So what did it mean to the original hearers? Paul is saying to the Jews and Gentiles in the Roman church, Adam was our federal head. He's our governing head. He's the father of all people. And, and because of his sin, we are all sinners. We are all sinners in Adam. And this obliterates uh, for <laughs> the Jews and, who were listening to Paul write this in the Roman church in the first century. This obliterates the idea that because you obey the law partially, you're not as sinful as those who didn't have the law. No, no, no. We're all, we're all born sinful. We're all sinful from <laughs> from our inception because Adam, this is how God works. Adam failed in his authority and everybody under Adam or from Adam is born a failure because of Adam's failure. You say, I don't like that. I didn't choose that, but I understand. And I understand that. But the fact of the matter is, is Adam is a picture of what every one of us would have done in the exact same position. This obliterates 
the past 50 years of teaching by educators and philosophers and psychologists that uh, humanity is generally good and society is bad and we need to fix society so that so that good people can be good that's not right that's not true that's not that's not true at all <laughs> the reason why society is bad is because society is made up of people who are bad and if you uh, take one form of society and you try to you know replace it with another form of society i.e social capitalism gets replaced by socialism you're just exchanging one bad man's philosophy for a, another bad man's philosophy because the problem is not society the problem is the human heart society is bad because it is founded by men and there's always a younger generation this is so true there's always a younger generation who assumes they will fix the world they fix everything it, everything's wrong because our parents screwed up and it's our job to take back the country take back the world fix the planet you know whatever and and usually what happens is that younger generation grows up with an antithetical philosophy of the older generation who came before because everything's screwed up because of them and then they go and they swing the pendulum all the way to the other side to compensate for the failures of their parents or the previous generation and they make the exact same mistakes although in the opposite direction of the generation that came before that's why we're swinging back and forth every election season from more government control less government control more government or you know more religious belief less religious belief or or whatever you know what i'm saying this this is the pendulum of human sin we have inward sin and so uh we've got a generation of kids who weren't spanked because their parents spanked them and that made them bad and it made them feel bad. So let's, let's tell our kids that they're great and they're special and they're snowflakes. And then they became snowflakes and can't handle the least little bit of a rebuke. That's our world right now. That's the human condition. And Adam is our federal head and he is why we're in this mess. And Paul says in verse 14, death reigned. Death reigned. That's a key word. Remember I said that. Reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So Adam, just like Moses, and just like Abraham in Romans 4, is a picture or a type. The word type in Greek, typos, is a type of the one who's to come. Adam is a type of Jesus, a picture of Jesus. That word typos in Greek is very, is very interesting because it's the word for the blow left behind after a hammer strikes a, an object. So you take a hammer and you hit something as an imprint there. And that was the, the Greek word for uh, type, typos. That's what the typos was. So all the Old Testament saints, just like Adam, Abraham, Moses, Joshua, are types or previews, if you will, like previews for movies, of coming attractions, only one attraction though, and that is Jesus Christ. Moses' story is pointing to Jesus. Abraham's story is pointing to Jesus. David's story is pointing to Jesus. David is not, we are not called to become like David. We are called to trust our true David, Jesus, who defeats our true Goliath, Satan and death with his own sword, the sword of death. Uh, Job's story is not an instruction manual on how to suffer well. Job's story is pointing to Jesus, who is the true innocent sufferer, who obeys God through the suffering and in the end intercedes for his friends. I mean, this is how you read the Bible because this is how Jesus read the Bible. And I want to take you through this idea that Jesus or Adam is a type of Jesus. Let's take a look-see. Adam disobeyed in a garden. Jesus surrendered in a garden. Adam sought my will. Jesus declared, not my will. Adam sinned at the tree. Jesus became sin on the tree. Adam brought shame and nakedness. Jesus bore our shame in nakedness. Where? On the tree. Adam died as a sinner. Jesus died for sinners. Adam followed his bride into sin. Jesus leads his bride to righteousness. And Adam brought judgment and death. And this is the best part. Jesus brings grace or brought grace and life. Powerful, right? powerful symmetry in the scriptures. And if you want to believe that just men came up with these ideas on their own as they just sat there and whistled through the wind and they just decided to come up with a story, you're out of your mind. This word is 
Holy Spirit inspired, drawing us to see the types and the pictures so that we look to Jesus and, and don't treat the Bible as some kind of manual for being a better person, but as the rescue letter, the, the message of salvation to everyone in Adam who would turn to Jesus. Who's your daddy? That's the question of this text. So let's get into what it means. All right, what it means is a simple question. Are you an Adam or are you in Jesus? So Adam brought death to all men. Again, original sin is the number one most provable doctrine in all the Bible. You just have to have a child. If you don't believe that men are born sinners, and by man, I mean mankind, that all of mankind are born sinners is because you have a college degree and no children. <laughs> I believe nothing makes you stupider than having a college degree and no children. And I'm sorry, forgive me for those who can't have children. I'm not talking about you. But the, these, these young people who are so oblivious to the, the, the human propensity to sin. You don't have to teach your child to disobey. You don't have to teach your child to throw a fit. You don't have to teach your child to say mine and not share. That comes standard programming in their DNA. So you are either a son of Adam or you are a son of God through the new Adam, Jesus Christ. As the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new what? And this is, again, Genesis language, Genesis 1 language, isn't it? A new creation. The old is passed away, dead. Behold, the new has come. The symmetry in the scriptures is so beautiful. It's so beautiful. It's so necessary. Let's continue in Romans chapter 5 uh, with verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. So Adam's sin is not to be correlated directly with the free gift. Uh, so it says this, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Why? Here, here's what he's saying. Adam's sin brought death. Adam's sin brought death. The grace of God brings life. And it's saying this, it's saying that Jesus brings life more abundantly than Adam brings death. That's the, that's the, remember the key phrase, the much more phrase that we talked about in the beginning of this teaching, the much more phrase is because what Adam did in the flesh, Jesus does not just in the flesh, but in the spirit and in the eternal. Uh, Adam sins, he brings death and decay and deterioration. The second law of thermodynamics backs this up. It's the law of entropy, that in a closed system, uh, things lead to uh, chaos, not order. Things deteriorate. They do not construct, which undermines the entire theory of evolution. Don't get me started on that. But the fact of the matter is, is that what Adam's sin does is it brings deterioration. No, they did not die instantly. They died slowly. And you can read the scriptures and you can see in Genesis chapter five, the genealogy that Adam begat Seth and he had many sons and daughters and then he died. And Seth begat, you know, I think it's Enosh and he had many sons and daughters and then he died. And Enosh had this guy and he had many sons and daughters and then he died. And everybody slowly decomposes. In fact, the moment you're born is the moment you start dying. You're, you're dying from day one. And so that is irreversible and unstoppable. Here's the gift of God. It is much more powerful than the, the effect of the trespass of Adam because the gift of God does not does not stop your physical deterioration, but it starts your spiritual increase. It starts your spiritual growth. You are inwardly transformed and justified by faith, Romans 4, but now you are sanctified progressively by the word of God and, and the, the practices of the saints and the Holy Spirit of God working in you to bring out of you what God has planted in you. That was last time, Philippians 2, 12 and 13. And you are working out your salvation so that spiritually, listen, listen guys, so, so good, so good. Spiritually, you are progressing even if your body is regressing. And then the bonus, once your body dies, you are spiritually perfected in heaven with the Father instantly, absent from the body, present with the Lord. That's why Jesus said that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's the much more nature of Jesus's gift that undoes Adam's sin. 
If you are in Adam, you are dying. And in the next life, you will die more. What is death, by the way? Death is disconnection from God. So, so all men are born disconnected from God. And if you do not get reconnected with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be dying, not just in this life, but into the next life, eternal death. When you are in Christ, you are only physically dying, but your spirit is alive and growing and your body, once dead, will be made alive. And this is the best part. You, this is so good. You don't just get back the body that you had at age 33. There's a lot of people that think that, oh, Jesus died at 33, so we're all going to get our bodies back to age 33. No, some of your bodies were nasty even at age 33, right? Even my body was not as great as it should have been at age 33. You don't get back the body that you had. You get back a glorious body that's like his body. I'll give you a passage to prove it. Philippians 3.21. He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject things, all things to himself. This is the promise. This is the much more work of God's free gift through grace uh, in Jesus Christ than Adam's trespass, which brought death and condemnation. What I'm trying to tell you is whatever Adam did to you, Jesus is going to not just undo, but, but exponentially undo. Isn't that good? Isn't that great? 1 Corinthians 5.17. Let's put this up there. I'm sorry. 1 Corinthians 15, 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those who are fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in this life we have hope only, we are most pitiful of all men. What was he saying? He's saying our hope is beyond just this life. And that's why the free gift is not like the trespass. All that to say, all that to say, let's go back to that text because it's important, right? It's important. The free gift is not like the trespass. It's much more, much more beneficial to your life. Amen. Amen. We're not even close to being done. I'm sorry. I'm going very long, but these things matter. Verse 16. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. What is he saying? He's saying that Christ didn't just undo what Adam did. He did more good than Adam did evil. Because look, notice the underlayment of what was just said. One trespass, okay, one trespass leads to condemnation for many and many more trespasses. Like not only did Adam sin, but Adam's sons and daughters sinned and they sinned. And, and yes, you are the result of many sins of your parents. Yes, but you will commit many sins of your life that will affect your children. And it's like, where does it stop? Where does it stop? Where does it stop? It stops in Christ. Because look what it says. After many trespasses, that one gift brought justification. All the sins of humanity. Do, does not or do not, do not undo the work of Christ on the cross. This is the point. God always outdoes what sin undoes. God always outdoes. What has sin done in your life? Who has rejected you? Who has hurt you? Who has wounded you? And not just who, what about you? How have you ruined your life? How have you made horrible decisions? How have you destroyed yourself and wrecked yourself and thought, man, I'm my worst enemy? Good news, guys. God always outdoes whatever others or you do to you. This is the power of the gospel and is why I love preaching. Amen. Verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Look at this text. Reign in life. Remember I said reign is a key word. Again, the emphasis again too is much more. So if because of one man's trespass, death reigned. So death reigns, being, meaning that we all slowly decomposed. That's, that's death reigning. We all die. And uh, there, there's, this, there's this idea out there that there's you know, some kind of neutrality before the world, uh, before, the, before the father in the heart of man. Nope. Death reigns because no one cannot choose sin. So death reigns. That's another picture of death reigning. Uh, so much more, however, through the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness does life reign. Right, we, 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 we reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. 
So uh, when when Christ, by the way, well, actually, backing up to what I just talked about with with Adam, if you remember, Adam sins. And then he has many sons and daughters. He dies. And his son, Seth, has many sons and daughters. They die. Enosh, many sons and daughters, die. Okay, well, what happens when Christ dies? This is, so, this is so powerful. Christ dies in righteousness, in perfection, in perfection, obedient to the Father for our sins. And he dies. And Matthew 27 says this. Matthew 27 says that the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That curtain separating God and man. The earth shook, the rocks were split, and the tombs were open, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. That there was a, there was a kind of preview of coming attractions of resurrection in the, in the city of Jerusalem when Jesus rose again, because Jesus is undoing what Adam did. This is, this is the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is that it does, it undoes what what, uh, what uh, Adam did. If you are in Christ, you reign in life. Righteousness reigns. Righteousness reigns in your life if you are in Christ. You cannot disobey God and feel good about it. You love God too much. You love because he first loved you. And all your obedience is the work of God's grace in your life. It's why Paul will say um, that his grace to me, this is 1 Corinthians 15, in fact, I think I can actually get us there on the Bible cam. Check this out over here on the Bible cam. He says, for I am the least of all the apostles. This is 1 Corinthians 15, 9. Unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. But, and his grace toward me was not in vain. Why? Grace was reigning. Grace was reigning in his life. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. In other words, grace through Jesus Christ, this is so good, has authority in your life. Grace reigns. The free gift of righteousness reigns in your life. So good. So important. So life-giving. This is the gospel. Verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men... So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life. Now, again, it outdoes it. Justification, that is, you're declared righteous with God. We've talked about that in this season so far. And life, the reverse effect of death for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now, please do not mistake this for some weird form of universalism. Mm-mm. That's not what Paul is saying here. We'll touch on that in just a moment. But let's close out the text and then we'll get there. We'll get there. Verse 20. It says, now the law came in to increase the trespass. Let's stop there for a second. The law came in, Paul says, the law came in to increase the trespass. He is talking to Jewish Christians who would not receive Gentile Christians because they did not obey the law. And Paul is telling them, you are not reading the law. The law the, you are not looking at the law the right way. And we talked about this, I think, in week two. The law's use, according to Paul, according to the New Testament, according to proper doctrine, is to increase our understanding of sin. In other words, we don't know how bad we are until the law comes in and shows us how bad we are. I like to say this, that the law is the spiritual x-ray machine to your brokenness. The law just opens your eyes to just how bad you really are. It, it increases the image. You thought that you were doing well, but then the law came and said you're actually a sinner. And then Jesus shows up. Oh, oh by the way, the law says you're an adulterer if you sleep with someone, not your wife. Well, Jesus shows up and says, you're actually an adulterer if you even look in lust after someone who's not your wife. So he elevates the law. So Jesus is really the ultimate x-ray. He is the archetype x-ray to your brokenness. And he shows you just how bad you really are. And you say, this is not helping, pastor. It's not helping if you think you can fix yourself. It's only helping when you realize that you can't fix yourself. That's the point of the law. The law is there to show you that you cannot fix yourself. If you, if you, like, if you have a broken leg, it's better to know that you have a broken leg than to just deal with the pain, right? It's better to know because then you can do something about it. But you can't do something about it. Somebody else has to, you know, set the bone and cast it and all that kind of stuff. And you can stay off of it and all that kind of stuff, right? Well, that's what the law is there for. The law is there to show you that those pains, that, that frustration, 
that the hurts and the wounds and the scars, emotional, mental, physical, that's because you have a broken spirit. Your spirit is broken. And the law is there as the x-ray machine to show you just how bad you are. And that's what sin is. Sin reigns. And it shows you that sin is reigning. Sorry, let me rephrase that. The law shows you that sin is reigning and that God is your only answer. So back to the text, what he's saying here. So the law came in to increase trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Listen to this. This is not just saying, oh, no matter how bad you sin, there's always more grace for it. I get it. That's true. But that's not what this verse is saying. It's saying the law increases sin. And yet where sin increases, grace outdoes what sin did. Grace beats sin. That's the point. Grace beats sin. So verse 21, so that, purpose word, all this matters so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In other words, your only hope out of your brokenness is Jesus. And if you don't know that you need Jesus, it's because you have some watered down version of morality, some really watered down version of law. That, that's really why that, I think, and no, I, I don't think, I know, that's the number one problem with our world right now. People have this watered down version of what being a good person is. Like the, fr- the famous phrase is, well, I haven't killed anyone. That doesn't make you a good person. Well, I try my best. Well, your best isn't good enough. And is your best enough? Do you know that what you did was good enough to get to God? At the end of the day, at some point, we've got to be confronted with the reality that we sin and then we love to make excuses for our sin by comparing ourselves to worse sinners and watering down the law to a level where we can just kind of like get our head above it and breathe. And the law increases the knowledge of sin so that you can see how bad you really are so that you can look to the only answer that you can have that will help, and that is Jesus. I want to put this quote up on the screen. This is Warren Wearsby, fantastic Bible expositor. He said, you cannot help being in Adam. In other words, there's no stopping it. For this came by your first birth over which you had no control. But you can't help staying in Adam. You can't help staying in Adam. For you can experience a second birth, a new birth from above that will put you in Christ. That is why Jesus said, ye must be born again, John 3, 7. So good. I love that. I love that quote. Now let's talk about why all this matters. Romans 5, 12 to 21. I told you it's bright. It's so bright. You got to wear shades. (laughs) Here's why this text matters, because all humans live with the effects of Adam's choice. Sin and death are imputed. That is, you are born a sinner and bent towards sin. It is inherited. Sin comes through the bloodline of Adam. Sin is inherent. That means it's there. It's increasing. The second law of thermodynamics applies here. Entropy. Everything corrodes and erodes from order to disorder. Look what's happening right now in our major metropolitan areas, our major cities of this country. They're literally, they, they, they take the police away and lawlessness increases. Gee, who could have guessed that would happen, right? When, when you take the law away, it doesn't decrease lawlessness. It just, it gives more lawlessness permission. And then um, the effects of human, the, the sin and death are inescapable. Sin cannot be taken care of by society. Sin cannot be demolished by better rules or better whatever, better education and better this and better that. No, look what's happening to the educational systems of our country. That that the, the smarter we become, the more foolish we behave. And that is what's happening. So it's all bringing me to one final thing we could talk about uh, before we close out this episode. All right, doctrine time. That is the doctrine of original sin. Romans 5, 17, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Down through the centuries, theologians, philosophers, educators have all desperately tried to deny this key doctrine. It cannot be denied. And the reason why the doctrine of original sin troubles us so much is because it obliterates our ability to rehabilitate ourselves. It levels our sense of moral superiority. Oh, original sin. You mean to tell me that there's something inherently wrong with me? I don't like that. Of course you don't like that. 
We don't like the truth. When we're confronted with the truth, we don't like it. That's why salvation is a miracle. It's a work of God to change our heart, to convert our heart to his truth, even when it hurts to hear it. Original sin shows that humanity is helpless before God. In the fourth century, a theologian named Pelagius denied the doctrine of original sin. He believed that the work of the cross made all people neutral before the Father, and so men are born morally neutral to God, and they can choose him or they can reject him. And then thankfully, God raised up a former pagan named Augustine to undo that teaching and rescue both the doctrine of original sin and justification by faith in the fourth century. These battles have been fought since Jesus ascended to the Father. You cannot save yourself. You cannot be a good enough person. You cannot remedy the broken spirituality that is within you. Until you realize that, you will never truly look to Jesus for salvation. So the law comes and exposes the disease of our heart, driving us to despair so that we turn to the one who can fix us. All that to say this, you do not need a new level of morality. You need a new family. You do, not, you do not need to try harder. You need to surrender. You do not need a New Year's resolution. You need a new life adoption. And that comes through Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. I love what Jesus said to Mary at the garden tomb, right? What does Jesus say? He rises from the dead. She goes to hug him. She doesn't first see that it's Jesus, and then she goes to Agam and says, whoa, 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 don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father, ooh, look at this, and your Father, to my God, ooh, look at this, and your God, we are adopted. Because of Jesus, we have a new identity, and our identity is now rooted in our heavenly Father and not our earthly Father. This is good news for all the fatherless out there. This is good news for all the children whose parents were divorced. This is good news for anyone who's in prison, who's in addiction, who's uh, dealing with the effects of what their parents did or did not do that led to whatever's happening in your life. I'm not saying you have an excuse for it. I'm saying now you can have the healing that you need inwardly and and ultimately, outwardly, through adoption into the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, Peter says, 1 Peter 1.17, and if you call on him as father, hmm, that's the predicate here. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. In other words, your life on this earth. Conduct yourselves with fear, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways of your forefathers. Your daddy is no longer Adam. Your daddy is the father. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You have a new family. All that say this, all are condemned in Adam. And all who receive Christ are forgiven and adopted. I said this earlier. I said, there's no way you can walk away from Romans 15. I'm sorry, Romans 5. <laughs> Romans 5 and say, oh, all are condemned in Adam, but then all are saved in Christ. So there's universalism. Everybody's going to heaven. No, no. Read the text again. Let's go back. Verse 17 of Romans 5. For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive. You've got to receive God's grace. Receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. You've got to receive it. You've got to accept it. You've got to embrace it. You've got to say no to your moral righteousness, your sense of superiority, and yes to Jesus Christ. And you won't say yes to Jesus fully until you realize that you are helpless without him in righteousness. This, this is the gospel. This is why you've got to study the text. You've got to go verse by verse through the Bible, not lift little portions out and make it apply to whatever, you know, uh, context you're living in. You've got to read the whole scriptures. We'll go verse by verse through these books of the Bible because they all have an argument to be made. And the argument of Romans is, is, is so far the same argument that he just keeps hammering this point home. You can't do it yourself. You're not good enough for God. You are helpless in your sin. The law only continues to expose just how powerless you really are. But there is someone who came to rescue you. Will you receive his rescue? I think we'll close this episode with John chapter one, who sums it up so well in verse 11. He says, he came to his own, 
and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. New family. Amen. You're born once wrong. You're born again right. And that, my friends, is the hope of the gospel. The future's so bright, you can finish the line. But only in Christ. Hey, guys, everybody, check out uh, timhatchlife.com forward slash or at sign uh, Tim Hatch Live for all of our social media channels. I hope you follow me there. Check out the TikTok channel. If you're not subscribed or you're not following, check us out on TikTok. I'll, always posting new content there. I got the book for sale at timhatchlive.com or you can just go to Amazon and search Tim Hatch Move. Tim Hatch Move wrote that book, especially for people now in this uh, post-COVID, hopefully post-COVID age. It's time to move, time to get out, time to enter into God's promises for you. And one last reminder, that is 10 Questions with Tim is in two days. So get your questions in. I think I got eight questions. I think I got two slots remaining. So get your questions in by emailing us, ask at timhashlive.com or in the comments below. That's in two days, lunchtime. I hope to see you there. I'm glad that you were here and made the new life of Jesus Christ be more and more evidenced in you and through you all the days of your life. God bless you. See you next time.